Welcome in to Ohio versus the world. Jacob Wilson here with a uh, special guest Stephen Hilton. We're gonna talk all thing, all things Ohio sports here today, uh, but mostly about the Browns. Talk a little bit about Ohio State football, a little bit about Ohio State basketball, a little bit on the Cavs, Indians, the Blue Jackets, and the Crew. Here with my good friend Stephen Hilton, and for the first time ever, we have a live, live guest here. So we're gonna have good sound quality for sure. No matter what, we don't have to worry about technical difficulties. How you doing, Steve? Dude, I'm doing good. I am very, very excited for Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> so it's it's going to be unbelievable. We're going to put up video game numbers this year. It's going to be the coolest. I'm, it's the most excited I've ever been for football, hands down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get right to it, really. I mean, it was a week and a half ago, and it's something I wanted to get to earlier, obviously, but... It's been a lot of things going on, but it's still very relevant. Even a week and a half later, that's how big of a trade it was. OBJ gets traded to the Browns um, for Jabril Peppers and a first and a third round pick. I mean, a middle of the first round pick and a not so good draft. I mean, I think the first thing we could talk about is, maybe, we'll think, I think we'll start with initial thoughts when you heard about the trade. For you, you kind of said we we're going to put up video game numbers. For me, my first thought was like, this is maybe the best offense in the NFL there's a lot of questions on this defense, and we'll talk all about that. But, th I mean, this is going to be one of the best, if not the best, offense in the NFL. And my immediate thought was this is – I'm not going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl, but this immediately makes them at least a contender for the Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. I guess um, depending on how the things go with Tyreek Hill, if they lose Tyreek Hill like Chiefs do because of all that stuff, the Browns are definitely the number one offense. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many weapons around him. And the good thing about Baker is he's going to spread the ball around so much that it's going to leave OBJ maybe wide open here or there because they're not going to know who to pinpoint. Najoku's a primary target. Landry is back to the slot position that he's supposed to be playing. Um, he had to play outside most of the time last year, which got double teamed a lot. This is just going to open up our offense. So – and. Just to add Kareem Hunt as your backup running back, it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the initial thoughts I had too, is not only does this great because you're adding OBJ, but it also makes the offense that's going to be around OBJ and Baker Mayfield so much better now. Like you said, Jarvis Landry, he was getting double teamed a lot, and he's also in his natural position now. Duke Johnson, with Kareem Hunt being there, if they keep him, could go out in the slot where he's a really good slot receiver. Mm -hmm. um, you have David Njoku, who I think people forget about, um, he didn't have the as good as a year. I thought he'd have a breakout year last year. He didn't, but he was still very good at times. I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the league next year. I mean, the guy is an absolute beast. Um, I think by far the biggest questions, though, for me, and I, I want to talk about it, is the offensive line. I mean, it looked good at times at the end of the year last year. They did trade, trade away Zeitler, which we'll also talk about, and then the defense. So, I mean, this offense is going to be really amazing, especially if the line can keep it together. The defense is still pretty good but I mean what are your thoughts on some of the weaknesses this Browns team has so the only weaknesses I would say right now are special teams I think our kicker was not as what we wanted it to be last year especially the one before <sighs> don't get me started <laughs> but our defense probably the outside linebacker um right now Avery's sitting as our starter um he was a rookie had great numbers but he was more of an edge rusher last year not playing that true strong uh linebacker so I would say that and probably strong safety because we did get rid of Peppers. But Derek Kindred has been really good 
as a backup for the past three years for the Browns, so maybe he can step in and do something. But I'd still like us to see if we can kind of sign somebody to help fill that void or just be a rotational player. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is in terms of the trade itself. Um, I mean, I think we know the answer to this question in terms of who won the trade. I mean, technically, all technicalities to it, we won't know for a few years. But at the moment, for you, who won the trade? And then that team that you believe did win the trade, how much, in your opinion, did they win the trade by? Um, I would actually say it was pretty good both ways, almost. I mean, they got an all-pro guard. They got Peppers, who is an up-and-coming star, I really believe. So he's a really good safety. And they did get another pick, so if they get a good defensive player out of this draft I mean you could say that the Giants might win it a couple years from now but right now on paper the Browns definitely did just because we got one of the best arguably the best receiver in the whole National Football League so it just opens up our offense they just got kind of key rotational players that help build something Mm -hmm. we have a star now at that position if that makes sense yeah yeah I think uh this trade could really go two very different directions. I think it end up being good for both teams, but it definitely could end up where the Browns far and away win this uh, pick because Odell Beckham ends up being a star here in Cleveland. He ends up being who the Browns think he can be, especially with a Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball. And then it could go the other way. It could be Odell Beckham continues to have injury issues as he has for the past two years. We were at that one game where he got injured, Mm -hmm. that preseason game when uh, I think Forget, it might have been Jabril, too, yeah, who I took him out. Yeah, I think it was Peppers who went for the ankle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, hit him with his helmet in the ankle. So he could continue to have those injury issues. Um, and then, you know, that 17th pick could end up being a really good pick. Jabril could continue to d- develop the way he has. He played really well, I thought, last year. After, like, the f- that Baltimore game was that we went to was when he started to play good. Mm-hmm. That was right after, you know, he came out in the media and said the things he said. And then he immediately played good from that game. Pretty much till the end of the year, and then that third pick, you never know. You can always third picks are inter- third round picks. That is always very interesting. You could either bust completely, or you could get someone really good. We've seen the Browns get a few good players in the third round the last few years, so mm-hmm. it could go two very different ways, in my opinion. Um, I and I think a big thing for the Browns is I wouldn't second guess John Dorsey trying to move back into the first round of this draft because yeah. we do need an outside linebacker, and this is a very defense heavy draft. I would use those fourth and fifth round picks that we have to try to move up. I mean, to get, say, like a Devin Bush at like 14, if we can get there. Because, I mean, we have the ammunition to move up in the draft, and I'm sure John Dorsey hasn't done this offseason either. Um, but I back to the, like who wins the trade, I think just in general, to get two superstars like Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham Jr. in one sing because they did morph the trade, it's now one. Um, we're going to pair Olivier Vernon with Miles Garrett. That is a very scary edge mm-hmm. rush. You And we're going to put him on the opposite side. Because usually, now Miles Garrett is facing left tackles who are primarily like the man on the offensive line, if that makes sense. Now you're going to have Olivier Vernon going up against right tackles in the AFC North. And these guys are not as nowhere as good as the offensive linemen in the NFC East. Correct? Yes. And it's just... It's going to be... So many stunts, so many blitz packages that Steve Wilkes are going to be able to do. It's going to be so cool to see. I'm not a one to get super excited about defense, but just the the youth and the strength and acceleration that these guys have, it's going to be so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So another talking point I have here 
in terms of after this OBJ trade is what is the floor for this Cleveland Browns team in 2019? And also, what is the ceiling? I can start with this one for me. Um, I think it, th- this question for me is actually pretty simple. I would say the floor is the second wild card. I just can't see a scenario where this team doesn't at least make the playoffs with this roster. And the ceiling for me is the Super Bowl. I think it's unlikely, but this team definitely does have the talent. It's a matter of putting it together. Um, a lot of it's going to come down, Super Bowl-wise at least, a lot of it's going to come down to Freddie Kitchens for me. How can he handle all the personalities in the locker room? Baker Mayfield, very personality-heavy guy. OBJ, of course, is. Um, you've also got a lot of other guys like Jarvis Landry. He can be considered a drama queen at times, but I mean, all these wide receivers are. But there's a lot of personalities in the room. How can Freddie Kitchens handle him? How healthy can Odell Beckham, players like Jarvis Landry, other players that are injury-prone on this team, stay healthy? But I definitely think the ceiling for this team, it's possible they could win a Super Bowl. And for me, the floor, the bare minimum has to be at least getting into the playoffs with this roster. Yeah, I would say the floor is probably nine wins, which is that second wild card about where Jake was talking about. I would say the ceiling is AFC Championship or Super Bowl. It's it's wide open there, especially in our division. The Ravens are falling apart. Or not falling apart, sorry. The Steelers are falling apart. The Ravens are just kind of unproved. I know they won the division last year, but it was a very wonky year. Um, and the Bengals, I don't see going anywhere right now. So it's it's wide open. I mean, we might have a chance to host a playoff game. Like, that hasn't happened in Cleveland since the 80s. Yeah, like, I've never wild. seen that. I'm only 21, and all I have seen is, like, losing. So You wouldn't to, have seen that if you were 10 years old. I know, right? <laughs> so it's – but it's just so – it's so cool to talk about yeah. this right now. It's It's been this narrative of just nothing but sadness and yeah. losing. But now we're so excited for all Cleveland fans around. And it hasn't been a long – like, once we – one team gets good in Cleveland – one of them has to kind of dip down, and that's the Cavs yeah. right now. So yeah. we'll see how everything goes. But like I said, the ceiling is probably the Super Bowl. So Yeah, in terms of what you're saying about the fan excitement, obviously winning the Super Bowl and all the things like that would be great. But just getting to the playoffs and what that would do for the city of Cleveland would be a lot of fun, I mean, especially a home playoff game like you touched on. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, especially if it's like a home playoff game that starts at like 7.30 at night. I mean, that day and that weekend in Cleveland – it's just going to be like the craziest tailgate I mean mm-hmm. you've ever seen in your yeah. life. I mean you think this team especially if they can even like get to the Super Bowl, let alone win it. I mean it's going to be 20 times crazier than when the Cavs won the championship. I mean this this Cleveland city is a city. It's a brown city, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean they don't even care anywhere near what they care about. I mean you can take the Cavs and the Indians and combine them. They don't that's not even like 1 100th of what the city cares about in terms of the Browns. So the Browns can make a run in the playoffs or even just get there. This year, this the city is going to explode. And I think something that's going to help our playoff run is that Kareem Hunt won't be fully integrated into our offense until yeah. around the start of the playoffs, if we can get there. And that's going to be something to look out for because Chubb's going to be the guy that's just pounding away throughout the whole first half of the year. And they can kind of set him, rest him, let Hunt play or Duke Johnson play. And now we got a two-tandem backfield that is just going to be ridiculous because people are talking about how much we're going to put up receiving wise numbers we're gonna put up a ton of offensive rushing yards too this team is just so just everywhere like they have everything that you need in an offense and I Jake kind of touched on how the offensive line might be a struggle I don't think it will be at all I think they're um I think Corbett's gonna step up right at that right guard position and he's gonna do just fine I really think so yeah, yeah, that's something else we'll talk about later. But let's move on to defensive end Olivia Vernon, also traded from the Giants to the Browns um, for the right guard, Kevin Zeitler, like you talked about. 
Um, an interesting trade there. Um, I mean, Pro Football Focus ranked him as the 13th best edge rusher last season. He had 22 sacks in three years with the Giants, despite missing nine games over the last two seasons. Um, another player that might be a little bit injury prone, but he's a very, very good player. And you touched it on, touched on it earlier. Uh, Olivia Vernon's a great, great player. There's no doubt about that. But what's more important is the way he frees up Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm, for sure. And he's going to free up Sheldon Richardson, and he's going to yeah. free up... Uh, Ogan Joby, he's going to free up everybody just because he is such a presence on that defensive line that you have to account for. Um, the thing is, they can only d- um, double team one person. Who are th- who's that going to be? Because yeah. you now have four down linemen that are all Pro Bowl material at this point. I mean, Ogan Joby put up awesome numbers for a D tackle that didn't even get a sniff at the Pro Bowl, if that makes sense. So it's going to be, it's. Like I said, it's going to be so fun watching this defense. And that's going to open up our linebackers, too, because they're not going to have to be so reliant on run defense. They can mm-hmm. go drop back if it's a pass. They can, they're going to have time to react instead of having to play the run first in the pass. They can play whatever they see, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you touched on linebackers as well, he is technically an outside linebacker as, mm-hmm. as his trade. So the Browns do have some linebacker depth issues. So if they did indeed need him there, too, he could fill in there. For sure. Um, starting right guard Kevin Zeitler was the one moved to the Giants for Vernon. This is, definitely isn't as clear cut in terms of who won the trade for me. I don't think there's necessarily even like a who won the trade on this one. They really needed a right guard. They got it. They got a really good one. We also have someone who stepped, who can step up in Austin Corbett, um, like you touched on. And then we bring in a guy like Olivia Vernon, who we really needed, especially to free up space for Miles Garrett. So for me. Both teams, we'll see, obviously, but both teams, at least at the moment on paper, this is a good trade for both teams. Now, I would have had a problem if we traded Petonio for him. That would have really, I think because he's the leader of the offensive line, that would have really kind of threw everything out of sorts. But since they traded Zyler and they got a superstar in Vernon back, I'm I'm totally happy with that trade. It's just like like you said, it's going to see who kind of wins that trade three to four years down the road. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anything else you want to touch on with Olivia Vernon moving to the Browns? No, I think we covered all bases on just how dynamic he's going to be with Miles Garrett paired. Yeah, yeah. So one that's not a trade here is defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson signs a three-year $39 million deal with the Browns. I don't know a ton about Sheldon Richardson, but I have heard that he's a pretty good player. He's starting to push a little bit past his prime, similar to Vernon, but still a very good player in a spot that the Browns definitely needed some help and that's really what they did with both of these deals. They make their defensive line a lot better, which they they needed, especially to free up space for Miles Garrett, like we talked about. With this addition, you're talking about Miles um, Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, and Olivier Vernon. Probably a top five defensive line in the league, in my opinion. For sure. Um, I think this was this is kind of our home run signing, if that makes sense. We we made our big splash by trading, but this is our big signee of the free agency period Mm -hmm. um so I know Richardson has been on four different teams past four years um this is now he's going to be he wants to be here and the reason he said he wanted to be here when he signed was because he wants to play in the playoffs and people don't say that when they want to go to Cleveland like (laughs) this is it just makes my heart kind of flutter because we now have a such an attractive team like people want to play with the with Baker Mayfield because of his attitude and OBJ because of his attitude and people just love Landry and all these guys just because it's it's big personalities playing and I hope they mesh well that's the thing everybody's kind of talking about is just how is all of these new faces gonna mesh together I think there won't be a problem because Baker is going to really have that team together 
Yeah, I think there is a lot of big personalities, but I think it's a lot of big personalities who will get along well together. When I think of uh, OBJ and Baker Mayfield, they kind of seem like very similar people um, to me. And then you also talk about Jarvis Landry, how he's good friends with OBJ. I think it's a lot of big personalities, but I do think there is a good chance they will uh, get along well together. Um, another few things I have here, what other moves can and should the Browns make? Um, for me, I would like to see them add a linebacker, just, you know, an above average linebacker in the NFL I think they could use. And the same with the safety. They lost their real peppers. They didn't trade for another safety back when they when they let go of him to the Giants for RBJ. So I would like to see them sign, you know, maybe an above average safety and an above average linebacker. Um, I don't know if we even need to try to sign guys right now. I think if something does come up that we could get like a good profit on or a good like sign for but I think we should try to address both of those in the draft, especially since we have such a young team. Try to get the, that team or a guy in there that's young yeah. and can play right away. I mean, there's not going to be that much in the second round, but if something does come up, um, I would definitely try to hit that. And like I said, John Dorsey probably, in my opinion, is probably going to try to move back into the first round. Yeah, yeah, and I think it would be a smart decision for him to move back into the first round because you don't need all of those picks later mm-hmm. in later rounds, especially you, you might have a few years ago, but with the depth this team has now, how good they are, you could trade away six or seven picks if you wanted mm-hmm. just to get you know like a second, a few thirds, a few fourths, just to get all the way back in the first round yeah. because you really only need one or two more players on this team. So there's no reason to have 10 draft picks I mean with the with the lineup they have right now and I like I said I guess something um a free agency signing that we could try is try to go get a kicker that is proven right now because right now he our kicker is not at all no he's just it's he's got good leg strength like our special teams coach said in his introductory interview but it just he's not where we want especially because we're going to be playing in big-time games right now, and we need somebody that's going to be able to make those big-time kicks. Yeah, yeah. For me, Greg Joseph is a funny one because the stats say that he's a really good kicker, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. he was something like 15-17 to last year for the Browns, but if you actually sat and watched the Browns and watched those kicks, you know he's not that good of a kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of the kick that went through the game winner, the game we were at in Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, a few other kicks. His kicks were always very kind of line-drive, very wobbly, just found their way through the uprights. I mean, if you watched him technically, he wasn't that great of a kicker. Although the stat sheet, you know, I mean, he finds a way to make it, which is important if you're a kicker, obviously. But, yeah, I definitely agree with you. We definitely need to add a kicker. And I know the rumors are Gostowski. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gostowski's supposed to – that's a rumor of him coming to Cleveland. But uh, last of I heard that he might not want to play in Cleveland, which I don't quite understand because we are in such a good position. Um, so – but like like I said, we're supposed to be attractive, but for some reason, I guess in that reason, he doesn't want to play here. So yeah, yeah. I mean, is there any other names out there besides Gustowski? Oh, I can check real quick. Let's see if any. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like who's on the free agent market. Um, I mean, there's really just no names out there. I mean, there's never like a big kicker yeah, free agency sure, market, but... obviously. But yeah, it, it's hard to tell who's out there. Uh, Dan Bailey is out there. He used mm. to play for the Vikings. Um. Sebastian Janikowski is actually a free agent right now. Okay. Um, so that could be something to look out for in Blair Walsh. So all those guys. I know Robbie Gold signed back with the Niners. That would have been crazy. He's probably the best kicker in football right now. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of – I mean, it's funny that we're talking about a kicker. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like we That's need to sign at. a kicker <laughs> because all our, most of our team is filled. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, the final thing I have here, I have two questions. Are the Browns America's team? 
Pro- yes, I would say so. I think the team that it's, everybody's going to want to be watching this year is the Browns. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's obviously a little bit of bias in the fact that we are Browns fans. But, I mean, if you read, like, say you see a, something on the Browns on Bleacher Report or you see, like, ESPN tweet something about the Browns, all the replies are going to be people talking about, like, how much they love the Browns or people joining the Browns bandwagon or, like, how th- cool they think it is that the Browns are good again. Like, this is definitely America's team just because of how much this city – has suffered over really just its sports history, but especially with the Browns over these past 30 years. I mean, they have just absolutely suffered. So, I mean, yeah, I think all of America really realizes how much Browns fans in general have suffered, and they're excited to see this team be good. For sure. So, yeah, I would definitely say that right now they're America's team um, just because the intrigue of them. I mean, they have so much around them that it's just going to make everybody want to watch. And to the primetime games that you asked about, I think you asked about that, is just um, I would say we're going to have the max. I think the max is five. I would assume we're going to have one, maybe two Monday night, um, uh, definitely a Thursday night, and maybe one or two of the Sunday night games. It's just going to depend on how the things work. I would love to see a Browns home opener. However the schedule plays out, I would love to see the Browns at home for this for this team to start, everybody's talking about the Patriots and the Browns to start the season, but that's going to be at the Patriots yeah, for the ring ceremony. Be. So I really hope that we get a home game just because I want to see the buzz around Cleveland. Let's see. Bra- I mean, we've seen it the last two years in Cleveland, Browns versus Steelers, first game of the season. Yeah. We've lost both of them. Both been really good games, but um, it would be a lot of fun to you know have that game. Yeah, I would. that would, uh, that would be a great game for like the Sunday night right there, yeah. um, that first opening game. Yeah home game for this oh i'm getting tickets if that happens so but it's gonna be yes the browns are gonna be so much fun to watch it i just not an it's not an understatement when you say that this team is for real on paper at least it's on for real yeah and i'm a bit confused on the max primetime games you probably don't have the answer to this but i mean i definitely remember the cowboys having like 11 or 12 primetime games last year so like so does that not include sunday night games so they basically include what i believe is that Anything that is past a 1 o'clock Sunday game is considered a primetime game. So, like, a 1 o'clock game for the Raiders, since they're on the Pacific Coast, is still a 4 o'clock game here. So, it just kind of depends. So, if it's a 4 o'clock game here in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, then it's considered a primetime or, like, a national televised game. Yeah, that Ravens game at the end of the year was 425, right? Yep, so that is considered a... A primetime game, and it also depends on who's announcing it, things like that. So it can be mm-hmm. a little bit of subjective too, instead of how people kind of portray which game yeah. or which. Yeah, yeah. I just specifically remember the Cowboys being on national TV or primetime games. It felt like every single week, so I was just confused. It felt like they definitely went over that five. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some sort of legality to it where you can probably get more than five. But yeah, yeah. Um, so. I think uh, that's all I have for the Browns. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. I mean, I know just in general we're both extremely excited for this Browns team, but anything else you want to add? Um, I would just say that the Browns in general are going to be just an uh, – we're going to have so much people walking onto our bandwagon, hopping onto our bandwagon. It's going to be weird to see other Browns fans take winning. Like, how are we going to mm-hmm. – are we going to be <laughs> very – out there winners or are we going to be like sore winners or how how are we going to be because we haven't had this especially our generation Mm -hmm. um we have never seen the browns be good so how are we gonna take that as a 
a franchise itself. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Thing. All right, so we're done talking about the Browns for now. Um, we're going to take a, sh- a short break to watch the end of this UCF-Duke game, and then we're going to come back with everything else that's not Browns. Probably talk about that for about 25 minutes. We're going to talk about the Ohio State football schedule, um, talk a little bit about the Indians, the Cavaliers, the Blue Jackets, and the crew. We'll be back in one second. All right, and we're back. We're going to start with talking about a little bit about the Ohio State football team. Always talk about Ohio State football on all these podcasts. Um, we'll start with Ohio State's football schedule here. Um, we haven't had a chance on this podcast to just run through the football schedule real quick and give our initial takes on who the uh, who the Buckeyes are facing next year, if we think it's a hard schedule, whether we think it's an easy schedule, um, is there any hard stretches in the schedule, stuff like that. So let's just dive right into it. Ohio State plays Florida Atlantic, um, Cincinnati. This is all in a row, by the way. Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Indiana, Miami of Ohio, Nebraska, Michigan State, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State, and Michigan. The thing that jumps out to me, obviously, and I think most people right off the bat, is you finish the season against Penn State and Michigan. Say what you will about how easy the non-conference is or um, how easy maybe the schedule is in general. It's going to be so hard to finish the season 2-0. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right now we're looking at a pretty painful stretch. I know Maryland might be okay because they took us – that was a crazy game last year, a high-scoring game for Marin last year. So maybe that is something, but then the Rutgers to the Penn State to Michigan, that's a good, decent stretch, and that's all going to be good Big Ten football games. I mean, cold weather. So we're going to see how that goes. I think another thing that stands out is probably that Cincinnati game. Um, Right now, Lou Fickle is coaching some good teams. I mean, he's kind of changed the culture around there, so that's going to be a, not a team that we can just pass by um, on the non-conference schedule. Yeah, yeah, I think non-conference-wise, it definitely sticks out as being really easy. You don't have that typical really good non-conference team that Ohio State has. That's not really their fault either. Of course, at the end of the year, if they're right on the edge of that playoff spot, it will get held against them. I mean, it's unfortunate because that TCU home-and-home turned into a neutral site game last year. Mm -hmm. But Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati, both are one of those teams that, like, on paper, you look at them and you're like, all right, that's a chalk that up as an easy W for Ohio State, but... Florida Atlantic, although they weren't that great last year, they still have Lane Kiffin. He's still a really good coach, and I would expect maybe last year was just a reloading season. They were really good the year before that. They might end up being a decent team. They could be a tough one, especially on opening day when um, you know, you're still working out some things, still kicking off the rust. And then, like you said, that game against Cincinnati, it's at home. I would be a little bit more worried if it was away at Nippert Stadium, but Ohio State at home against Cincinnati, it could be a tough game. Like you said, Luke Fickle, he's been really solid at uh, Cincinnati. There was no teams able to lure Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati. I know like West Virginia and a few other teams are trying. But, yeah, Luke Fickle, he's a great coach, as we know, being Ohio State fans, and he's really cooking it, cooking down there in Cincinnati. That could be a tough game. But overall, you'd expect Ohio State to for sure go 3-0 and um, in the non-con. You'd expect him to start 4-0 with that Indiana game mixed in between Cincinnati and Miami of Ohio. But, yeah, for me, I mean, it's got to be – the Big Ten schedule, I mean, that's where the media schedule is, and it's going to be tough at times. They play a Michigan State team who's going to be decent. They play a Nebraska team who people um, will definitely discount because of how bad they were last year. But going on the road to that environment with a team that I think is going to be uh, 200% better than yeah, last year. Scott Frost, for sure. Yeah, going to Northwestern on a Friday night, that's a good team. I mean, that's a team that we had to play in the Big Ten Championship. It's one of those schedules that, like, it looks really easy on paper, but it's really not. Not yeah, for sure. And we play Wisconsin, which yeah. is a 
something that hasn't happened in what six years i mean yeah in, in the actual season because last time they played braxton miller was on the team um so it's been a while since we haven't faced them in just like a championship game so yeah, actually this schedule could look tougher than it is for sure yeah yeah i think that's kind of the unfortunate part is because not only is it going to be a harder schedule but people in the national media are going to be calling it easy so it's just going to make it that much harder i think this is a team that's really gonna need to go twelve and zero, maybe thirteen. I mean, thirteen and zero, I guess that is because if they go twelve and zero, they're definitely in the conference championship game. This is a team that I think, I mean, it's gonna be tight if they're uh, twelve and one. But I think to put no doubt in the committee's mind, this is a team that really needs to go thirteen and zero to get into the playoff. For sure. I mean, it's gonna be it's kind of an unproven year so far. I mean, we lost Mike Weber. We lost Dwayne Haskins, obviously. Um, we're losing Nick Bosa. I mean, he didn't play much last year, but yeah. so we got a new quarterback. We're gonna have to. J.K. Dobbins is really gonna have to step up as that number one running back. Um, our corners are gonna have to. They're Okuda's. He's gonna have to really do something. Our wide receivers, um, right now, Ke- Campbell and uh, Terry McLaurin, who are the leaders of that wide receiver group, are definitely they're in the NFL now. So we're gonna have to find a lot of leadership in a lot of parts of this team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who definitely overlook this Ohio State team next year. That's a big point for me on this team. Like, I mean, like you were kind of saying, this team is a team that lost a lot. They lost one of the great, greatest coaches of all time in Urban Meyer. Then they also lose, like you said, Mike Weber, Dwayne Haskins, who is considered maybe the greatest, I mean, QB of all time. And, for Ohio State, yeah. Yeah, for, sure. for Ohio State. I mean, you're talking about... QB and coach are probably by far the most important things in football, and you lose arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time, and then you lose arguably the greatest QB, at least statistically wise and just on the field. Yeah, he wasn't. He only played one season, and you know QBs that played three or four seasons are gonna have better statistics. But on the field, we know that he was the most talented, at least quarterback to ever grace the field at Ohio State. So it's interesting that you're losing a QB and a coach who are so good, but you're still expected. Um, to be at least by the Ohio State fans, I know some of the national media that aren't plugged into this program day by day might not understand, but you're still expecting this team to be really good with Justin Fields, who I think is going to be super good. I think J.K. Dobbins. Um, I mean, you hate losing that one-two threat, but J.K. Dobbins by himself, it might just make him that much better. Really get him in a rhythm mm-hmm. during games. Um, you're adding a Garrett Wilson. You're adding. Um, you're not adding, but you have Chris Olave, who I think is going to be a lot better this year. He's going to step up. We saw what he did in that Michigan game. So. Um, this is a team that a lot of people in the national media are forgetting about. You saw Michigan was six and a half point favorites in the opening odds. I don't know if you saw that, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, I did see that. Yeah, so I mean, people are gonna fade this Ohio State team because of the loss of Joyne Haskins and Urban Meyer. But this is um, still, I think, in my opinion, gonna be a very good football team next year. So I kind of have a question for you. I'll, I'm gonna have a statement first, and then kind of follow up with that. I think who's the player that you think is gonna have a breakout year? And the one I say is gonna be Benjamin Victor because he. It's just that tall, lanky guy. He kind of reminds me of how Calvin Johnson was in, not as good, don't give me that, but just <laughs> how he plays in college at Georgia Tech. That's how I rem- he reminds me of, and I really think that we can turn him into a, like, just a automatic red zone guy. Like, throw it up, he's going to go get it. That's how I think we need to turn him into. So who yeah. do you think is going to have, like, a breakout year this year? Yeah, I think I already touched on it. For me, it's got to be Chris Olave. Um as long as the coaching staff puts their trust in him and really lets this guy go out there, this kid is going to be a baller next year. Like I said, we saw what he did in that Michigan game, got the two touchdowns, he got that pump block. This is a guy for me that, I mean, he could arguably be, already be the best wide receiver on Ohio State this year. 
Um, if he improves, especially during this offseason, he's going to have these seven, eight months to even get better. Uh, for me, it's got to be Chris Olave. I think it's interesting that the wide receiver core is you're losing so many pieces, but this wide receiver core, in my opinion, is going to be just as good as it was last year, even though you're losing all those pieces because you had Garrett Wilson, who, in my opinion, can contribute right away this year. I don't know how you feel about yeah, that. For sure. but, um, and then Chris Olave is going to take a step up. You keep KJ Hill. Benjamin Victor's, Victor's going to be really good. Um, you think that as well. So this is a wide receiver core that, although it lost a ton of pieces, I think is going to be extremely good again. Mm-hmm. And another guy that might have just that standout year that is going to make him a top 10 pick is Chase Young. I really think just the kid's a monster, and he's going to continue to do what he was doing at the end of the year last year. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then I'm trying to remember the guy's name. It's bad I'm forgetting his name, but who is the defensive line guy we added from Olin Tangio Orange? Oh, Zach Harrison. Yeah, Zach Harrison. Yeah, do you think do you think he'll make a immediate impact? I, I do play? think he'll start as a freshman um, opposite of Chase Young. He is, he is all of a number one recruit. He is yeah. everything that statistically, I mean, in high, high school, he just – he dominated every team he played in high school. And being around from this area, um, Olentangy Orange is actually like one of the smaller, bigger school D1 schools. And he was just taking it to all of the guys. So it was – it's going to be something to watch. He's going to be a freak for Ohio State. I, yeah. I promise you that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the big questions. We talked about it. But for me, can Garrett Wilson and can Zach Harrison contribute right away in their freshman years to this Ohio State team? You seem to – seem to think so. For me, I think so as well. Definitely Garrett Wilson. Um, Zach Harrison, I don't know for sure, just because it's a little bit harder in that defensive line position to contribute right away. But I think, yeah, both of these guys can contribute. And not only is that important for Zach Harrison just being so good, but we kind of talked about it with Miles Garrett and Olivia Vernon. If Zach Harrison plays and he plays really well like we think he can, that's going to just free up more space for Chase Young as well. Yes, for sure. It's going to be the same thing now. They're going to have to – somebody's got to double-team somebody, like I said, for um, Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. So who who you got to pick your poison here. Like who are you going to focus on? And another thing that's going to hurt us, I mean, we are losing Draymond Jones, who held down the center of the defense. So it's going to be – it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out for our defense, more more likely than our offense. Yeah. Um. So, talked about a ceiling and a floor for the Browns. What's your uh, ceiling and floor here? Right now for the Buckeyes, since they are unproven right now, I'm going to go the ceiling is making the Big Ten Championship right now, just because we there are so many unknowns. Um. But the floor is not getting there, if that makes sense. So, right there is where we want to be, is, try to, is fighting for a conference championship Hopefully going 12-0, and I mean, it's just we're spoiled as Buckeye fans. That's what we expect. So hopefully we can get there and then try to get a bit at the college playoffs. So Yeah, yeah. for me, the ceiling has to be maybe just getting to the playoffs or getting to the national championship game. I mean, yeah, anything can happen once you get to those playoffs, but it's just hard for me to see this Ohio State team next year, this year, I guess, beating Clemson from what we saw. I mean, it's tough when you've got 19, 20-year-old, 20-year-old players out there, anything can happen. But the way Clemson looked last year, bringing back Trevor Lawrence, who is going to only get better and still has two years left, which is just so scary to think about. He's the hands down the best quarterback in the country. Yeah. I didn't quite jump on that train until the championship began. He literally was playing like he was playing with 12-year-olds. He he just – everything he did was perfection in that game. It was was perfect. Yeah. It really was. We thought all year Alabama was going to win the national championship, and that was a really good team, and that's a team that is also pretty much bringing everyone back. 
And the highlight of who they're bringing back to is Tua Tagovailoa. So the fact that Tua are coming, Tua and Trevor Lawrence are both coming back into college football next year. I mean, those are two players that would easily be top draft picks this year. Could easily play in the NFL right now. The fact that those two guys are coming back, and a lot of both of those teams are coming back, mm-hmm. it's just so hard to see this Ohio State team winning the national championship. So the ceiling for me is making the playoffs, and depending on who they draw, say they make the playoffs and they draw like a Notre Dame or someone, they could maybe even make the national championship, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to see them winning the whole thing. And then the floor for me um, would probably be 9-3. and three. I mean, there's no way they're going to be worse than 9-3 and three in my opinion. I don't even think they're going to come close to that, but it is possible. Um, Michigan's going to be a very good team. Penn State's going to be a very good team. Northwestern's always tricky on the road. I had a Friday night game. Nebraska's always tricky. Um, you could always slip up in a Michigan State or Wisconsin game. So, I mean, when you look at uh, the conference, I mean, you're expecting to beat Maryland Rutgers, but the rest of these conference games are tough. Now, how much do you think that Ryan Day's offense is going to be close to or if not the same as Urban's? How how much do you think he's going to expand on what Urban did there? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely going to be exciting to watch. I think it's going to be similar to what we saw the first three or first three games when Urban Meyer was out because obviously Ryan Day was the head coach technically for those three games. Like you said, it's going to be expansive. They're going to be a lot of passing. Um, there's not going to be as much QB runs, although Justin Fields can run well. But for me, it's going to be spread it out. You're going to have four or five wide a lot. Um, you're really going to give a chance for these wide receivers to shine. You're going to get a chance for Justin Fields to really show his arm. Um, I think it's going to be a, just a very simple offense. I think when you're passing, it's going to be in the pistol or in the shotgun. You're going to have four or five wide. And when you're running, it's going to be in the pistol. And you're just going to do simple handoffs right up the middle. You're gonna, I mean, he's gonna, Justin Fields is going to snap it. He's going to turn, hand it to J.K. Dobbins. He's going to go right up the, the A-gap. And, I mean, I think they're going to run all over people, and then that's going to open them up for a lot of slants. Um a lot of crossing routes. I think this is going to be a very kind of just simple football team, kind of like when you play Madden and like you're just running slants and you're just running a gap, a gap runs like back and forth. I think that could be this offense. I the real question here is: Will we ever go under center ever again, Jake? Um, I mean, last year would have been the year to do it. Now Justin Fields. <laughs> I know. Right? I mean, Justin Fields is a smaller guy, so like. They're definitely. I mean, I, I guess it's interesting. I want to see them do that, obviously, mm-hmm. for like QB sneaks. I don't understand. Like, I get not going under center f- for like regular plays, Base but offense, a QB sneak but... isn't like a regular play. So, mm-hmm. like, in terms of regular plays, definitely not. In terms of QB sneaks, I think Ryan Day is smart enough to maybe where he could, you know, implement implement that into this offense. I think it would be good for some uh, RPO stuff. That's gonna really open up our offense if we can get. If Justin Fields has the ability, because some quarterbacks cannot do that. Baker Mayfield with the Browns is really good. He, It can either be one. It's an RPO. It can be a run play, depending on what you read on the defense. But he's a freshman coming in. We don't know if he – and right now we don't even know if he has a starting job because Matthew Baldwin is a transfer – or he, he got recruited last year, and he's really good too. So right now we're we're in the unknown with everything. That's the thing with this team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So – um. In terms of the Ohio State Buckeyes football, you got anything else to add? No, I think we covered some good good points. All right, so let's talk for a second here um, about Ohio State basketball. Um, we're going to talk about their round of 64 win, and then we'll come back after, full disclosure, recording this about an hour before Ohio State takes on Houston in this uh, round of 32. So we'll come back after that game for like five or ten minutes to talk about what happens in that game, whether it's a win, whether it's a loss, whatever it is. Um, so we're sitting here recording before that game. So we've seen the round of 64 game where they beat Iowa State 62-59. So 
So we'll talk about that game for a few minutes. Um, what went right for Ohio State here, I guess, is the question because they are playing a team that they're expected to lose to. Um, they came into that that game really on a a low form. They just lost three games at the end of the regular season. They did beat Indiana, but then they get crushed by Michigan State again. So what changed in this game for you? I think just heart. They 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 showed up and they wanted it more than yeah. Iowa State did. It and that's the most simplest form to put that. I think Keyshawn Woods really made because he stepped up and he's that leader for that team right now. And he really showed that hey guys, we can go out there and we can win this game. They they weren't gonna be rolled over. And I feel like it's gonna be the same thing for this next game here against Houston. They're they're not gonna go in there thinking that hey, they're they're gonna take it right to us. We're gonna go and play as hard as we can and we're gonna try to win. Like it and I know that sounds very cliche, mm-hmm. but it really is it. This team doesn't have that much talent. We really don't right now. It's a lot of rotational guys stepping up, being big. Um, Caleb Wesson is going to have to have a big game. Um, Keyshawn Woods, he's going to have to really lead that offense. Right now, we don't put a lot, put up a lot of points in any game this whole season. We yeah. haven't. So it's going to be a lot of defense. Um, Luther Muhammad has to play good defense, but he's got to be that guy to spark the offense too. And C.J. Jackson's been really good too for this team. Um, it's just it's just all about heart with this these guys. Yeah, it really is because, I mean – as people who have played basketball know or watch a lot of basketball, defense for the most part is, I mean, it's 100% effort. There's really, I mean, there's very little skill to defense. A lot of it just comes down to effort. And like you said, this team really cannot shoot at all. I was watching that Ohio State game actually against Iowa State, and I was thinking if this team had a shooter, I mean, they could be a really good team this year. Mm-hmm. I think they will be next year when they add a few shooters. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it does come down to heart in that Iowa State game. They really play their asses off. I mean, the defense was amazing in that game. This is an Iowa State team that is really, really good mm-hmm. on the offensive end. They're really expansive. They're really they play really fast style basketball, similar to North Carolina. Um, and fifty nine points was by far the lowest they've been held to this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's Ohio State defense. They really kicked it into overdrive. They played really well. The other biggest factor had to be Andre Wesson, not just or not Andre Wesson, sorry, Caleb Wesson, not just playing well and scoring a lot of points, getting a lot of rebounds, but also being able to play for the full game mm-hmm. and staying out of foul trouble. I believe he, I don't think he got a fourth foul in this game. I believe he no, stayed yeah, at three fouls three. the whole entire game. That was huge. He got 21 points. He got 12 rebounds, even got two assists. He played extremely well. I mean, Iowa State just didn't have a guy like Caleb Wesson on their team. They didn't have a guy who could guard Caleb Wesson. Him staying out of foul trouble was probably the biggest part of this game. The defense they played was huge. Um, and then there was also Keyshawn Woods, the way he played and the way Musa Jala played. I saw a stat that Keyshawn Woods and Musa Jala, until the Big Ten tournament the whole year, were averaging eight points together. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've been averaging like 20-something points together. So mm-hmm. those two stepping up since that Indiana game in the Big Ten tournament has been huge. And it shows the leadership of Keyshawn Woods right now to play every single minute of that game. Yeah. It, the man did not sit out once. Um, It's just the heart. I mean... This team kind of reminds me of the team with D'Angelo Russell in 2015 that went to the tourney, who yeah. won, end up losing in the round of 32. But, I mean, they just had that. D'Angelo Russell obviously is awesome, but around him he had nothing. And yeah. But I would say even this team past Caleb Weston and maybe Keyshawn Woods, there is not much talent here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of guys working together collectively for one simple goal, and is to win. And that comes with defense, making shots that you're supposed to, simple layups, things like that. Um, there's not gonna we're not gonna rain threes from you rain threes on you like we did with Diebler and Buford and all those yeah. guys, but it's definitely a, just a de- defensive heavy make shots make the shots you're supposed to kind of kind of team. So. Yeah, yeah, they kind of just play grinded out basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. they make 
some shots on the inside when they can. They really can't shoot threes. They did a little bit better in this game, but I mean, they have to play good defense if they want to beat teams, and that's exactly what they did here. Final thing is, I noticed Justin Arn is not even a single minute. Didn't yeah, check into the game. That is crazy. I don't, I don't quite understand that. Um, but we'll we'll see if he yeah. plays tonight. So yeah, he obviously played really well, and I've, I mean, like a month or so ago in one of those games, and ever since then he's kind of just not played. So mm-hmm. not really sure what happened there, but overall, yeah, good games from Andre Wesson, Caleb Wesson. Keyshawn Woods, I mean, to touch on what you're saying about how well he's playing, I mean, he's playing like a guy who doesn't want his basketball career to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right? He plays, he's going to play, he's trying to play to play in the NBA. He's he's putting it on a show right now just to say, Scouts, here I am. I can play ball. That's yeah. really what it is. So, All right, so um, we'll, we'll touch on Ohio State basketball, like we said, um, at the end of this at the end of this episode. You know, So we'll talk about that for five minutes, how they do against uh, Houston. I guess any quick thoughts on what's going to happen tonight? Um, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, just like it was. I think we're going to play real good defense, but it's the matter is if, if we can score enough to get over that hump yeah. to, to win this game. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a low-scoring game, that's obviously a good thing for Ohio State. For me, I mean, it's hard to see Ohio State doing what they did against Iowa State two times in a row. Mm-hmm. Iowa State was definitely the better basketball team. I mean, you can tell that talent-wise. And Houston's definitely going to be a much better basketball team. So Ohio State's really going to have to play that grinded-out basketball that they like to play. It's hard to see them doing it twice in a row for me. I'll pick Houston to win, but, I mean, at this point, it's March Madness. It's Ohio State. Anything can happen. Yep, for sure. All right, so let's move on to the Indians and the Cavaliers, the Blue Jackets, and the crew. These are just four teams that we're just going to spend a few minutes each on. So mm-hmm. we'll start with the Indians. Um, the Indian season begins Thursday. Let's start with injury updates, and then let's start with maybe one or two talking points. For me, the, I mean, the biggest injury updates – is obviously you have Francisco Lindor, um, and you have um, Jason Kipnis, and you also have, as of today, Jose Ramirez, who are all... Um, I mean, for with Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis, those guys are expected to return. They might miss the first few games. They might miss the first week or two of the season. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what happened to Jose Ramirez today, we don't know for sure. It looks like it's just going to be a bruised knee, yeah. and hopefully he'll be back within a few weeks or a month or two. But... I mean, what do you make of the injury situation? So I don't think it's too much to panic about. I think our pitching can um, hold us down enough until they get back. Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, Kipnis should be back in the first week or two. Same with Lindor. Um, Jose Ramirez, his um, knee, his X-ray did come back negative. So he is he's okay. So it just depends on how long they need him to kind of recover and get back to 100%. Because obviously we don't want to put him into a situation where he's running the base and his knee buckles or something goes down that – we don't want so I, as an Indian fan I totally am fine with him missing the first couple weeks just to get him back to where he needs to be yeah and I, I just I think like I said I think this team their pitching is like I mean our bullpen's kind of scares me right now yeah. but definitely our starting five is good enough to take us two weeks without too much offense does that make sense yeah yeah for sure so for me the injuries are definitely concerning but Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis are definitely healthy. They're definitely going to come back within the first week or two, if not even start opening day. Mm-hmm. I know they're probably not going to, not because they're not healthy, but more for precaution reasons. Um, Jose Ramirez, his test did come back negative. It still does. I still could see him as someone who's out for like a few months, maybe not a few months, but like a month or two, just because he's such a big guy. And like I could see him taking a long time to recover from something like that. And mm-hmm. although it is a just a bruised knee technically, it's probably going to be like a really bad bruised knee. So I could see him being out for a month. But yeah, it does make it rough if he's out for a month or so because the, I mean this team could really use a hitter like him. 
um, especially with the hitting they have right now. And, I mean, you're going to need – I mean, I could see this wild card – not wild card. I could see this division race being somewhat close with how much the Twins have gotten better over this offseason. So every game is going to matter. If you miss out on these three players for the first 10 games of the season, those could be the 10 games that make the difference. I don't think they will, but you never know. The Twins are getting a lot better. And uh, the Indians, you know, I mean, they're only starting to starting to get off their peak, starting to regress a little bit, in my opinion. But that's kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about, I guess, with the Indians. Just a few minutes on can this team make a run this season? I think we have this year and next year are our, our final kind of that run where you have an opening for to get to the World Series. So I think yeah. this year is definitely the last peak year that we really need to put all of our marbles into one basket. So it's going to have to take everybody we're gonna have to we have to get that AL we have to win the AL Central like it has to happen we got to beat the Twins I don't see us losing I don't see us not winning the division but crazier things have happened I mean we lost 3-1 to the Cubs in the 2016 World Series so (laughs) a lot of things has happened so I like I said we just need to get over that hump we need to just to it actually that last year or was more crushing losing to the Yankees up 2-0 that was worse than the Cubs to me because yeah. we had way more ammunition coming off a 22 game win streak so this is this is our last run at it and we did lose a couple key players like Edwin Encarnacion and it just I, yes we can make a run into the the series but it just kind of depends on how everything plays out yeah yeah I, I like what you said about like their window 2016 was the start of their window. They nearly won it. Like you said, they were up 3-1 against the Cubs. Should have won it that year. And then 2017 was probably part of the opening, but it was probably also their peak year. Mm -hmm. That was the year that was even more frustrating in a way, like you said, because in 2016 they weren't even expected. I mean, there was a question of whether they would even make the playoffs, let alone get to the World Series, let alone be a game away from winning the World Series. So 2017... Uh, I hit away from winning the World Series. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hit that almost went out of the park. So, yeah, I mean, 2017, that team was... That was at their peak. Um, they were up 2-0 against the Yankees. Then last year, they were expected to be a lot better than they ended up doing in the playoffs, losing 3-0 to the Astros. Yeah. That was, I mean, I can sometimes forget that series even happened because it was in three days. Uh-huh. I mean, within 48 hours, basically, yes. that, that series was over. So that was very disappointing. For me, I mean, if this team couldn't do it last, I want to say their window's open just because this year, just because... It's baseball, and anything can happen once you get to October, the cliches and stuff like that, you know. But for me, if this team couldn't do anything last year, it just got blown out of the water 3-0 last year, and now they're even slightly a worse team because they have lost a few players. And Michael Brantley. And, yeah, Michael Brantley. They've lost a few other players that are good. They lost their starting catcher. I can't think of his name, but they've Uh, lost... Jan Gomes. Yeah, yeah, they've lost Jan Gomes, and then you're talking about... Like, you think of the Red Sox, the Astros, the Yankees. Those teams have only gotten better, so... like. The cliche obviously does go anything can happen in October, but mm-hmm. it's just so hard for me to see this team having any chance of winning the World Series. I think they definitely can win their division, and that would be fun to see them in the playoffs. That would be good for their market. That would be good for ticket sales and all that stuff. But for me, I mean, I don't want to be negative, but I just can't see this team winning the World Series this year. I, I Unless think, they add a few pieces. I think if we were not in the AL, but in all seriousness, we would have a much better chance because the AL is so loaded with the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros right now. I mean, those three teams are just powerhouse, and it's yeah. hard to get over that hump to beat those teams. And we, it's possible to beat them maybe one, two games in a series, but to beat them in a five-game series or a seven-game series, it's just very, very hard right now because of the 
the offensive power they really have. It, they're just putting up crazy numbers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think if they're the in the NL and they can make it to the World Series, then anything can happen in the World Series. But mm-hmm. I mean, they're, to get through all those teams, they would probably have to like beat an Astros team and then beat a Yankees team or a Red Sox team just to get to the World Series, just to play another really good team. I just can't see them pulling off all mm-hmm. that stuff, especially after being so used to playing bad competition in the AL Central throughout yeah. the whole year. But for Cleveland Indians fans, I mean, it's all about just hoping you can get to the playoffs and then seeing what happens there. And then also maybe hope that maybe if this team looks really good, they gel really good, then the owners, the Dolans, will look at that and maybe try to trade for a piece or two that they could use. They could really use another bullpen player to add to Brad Hand, and they could also use another bat. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, so uh, let's move on to the Cavaliers. We'll spend a good amount of time on this since you're a big Cavs fan, and then we'll talk for a few minutes on the Blue Jackets and the crew. Cavaliers most likely going to finish in the bottom three of the NBA, giving them tied for the best odds to win the lottery. Um, I mean, it looks like they're going to get one of those bottom three spots, right? It should if we do what we're, the fans want us to do. I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously players want to win. I mean, they don't want to tank, making it obvious that they're tanking, if that makes yeah. sense. But if we if we can keep losing, uh, we would definitely finish in the bottom three, I believe. Um, so... Kind of the thing is we're trying to figure out is who do we take if we have one, two, or three? And it just depends. Right now, my 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 opinion is if you're one, you take Zion Williamson. He's a generational talent. I mean, he's what we think as the most ready-made player since LeBron to go to the NBA. Um, that two spot, a lot of people are even talking John uh, ja Morant or R.J. Barrett. I personally would take... R.J. Barrett over John Morant. I think R.J. would even thrive in a Cavs offense, being that second fiddle to Colin Sexton because he's not going to have to focus playing the ball as using the ball as much. Um, So that kind of depends. And John Morant, I think if we had the third pick, I would take him. But his game is so similar to Colin Sexton. It kind of it's very hard to me to make a case to draft him and then put him at shooting guard when he needs to be a point guard. So those are my top three. I don't know how you would put that, but. Yeah, I think most people would agree with you. If you get that first pick, although it's questionable like what Zion's going to do in the NBA, I mean, obviously we're seeing what he's doing against college kids. I think you just can't pass up on taking a Zion. He's definitely going to at least be a really good player. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to take the chance that he's going to be a generational player like a LeBron James. If you get that first pick, you got to take Zion Williamson. If you get that second, R.J. Barrett looks so good. He's. I mean, it also works well for the Cavs too because you're not taking a John Moran who's similar to a Colin Sexton, you'd really like to get one of those top two picks so you can take someone down low, which they could really use since mm-hmm. Tristan Thompson's awful. Um, definitely get... not worth the money. We paid him for three years ago. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely not. So R.J. Barrett has to be the number two guy. At three for me, I mean, I don't know really any other names besides these three. I know these are the big three. But for me at three, I think it would be interesting if they did get the third pick, like what they would do. Would they look for like a European guy who who's really good down low, like look for um, – Trying to think of the guy's name from the Knicks, who I guess he got traded to the Mavs now. But oh, Porzingis, Porzingis yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe look for a guy like that, but at the same time, you know what you're getting in John Morant. It's tough because, like, I've heard a lot of people who are experts at, like, drafts, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, they always say don't draft for what you need, just draft the best players mm-hmm. available. So for me, if you do get that third pick, you still got to go with Ja just because he is one of the best players available. I think you could find a way to make it work at putting one of them at shooting guard and one of them at point guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you start that, your starting lineup looks 
just like let's take a kind of a like a look at what the starting lineups would be if say we got the first pick. Yeah. Now you're at Colin Sexton. Said Jetty Osman has probably moved to shooting guard. Um, Zion Williams is playing small forward, and then Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love, depending on how that works out. Um, so that's that's a very good offense. I mean, it's there's not a lot of three like a lot of people that can shoot threes. I mean, Sexton and Ke- Kevin Love. Jetty will make the occasional three. Tristan has never taken a three, I swear. And then um, Zion, he's an okay shooter, but he that's something he really needs to work on if we got the first pick. Yeah. Second pick, you would be looking at Colin Sexton, R.J. Barrett, and Seti, Tristan, and Kevin Love. And that's, I mean, that looks like kind of a more overall, like, balanced offense. And so that's okay. And then, like I said, it would be hard to distinguish who you're going to put a shooting guard if we got John Moran at three. So it's going to be a very interesting thing. I would, I really hope we fall in the top three just so we have the chance to get one of the the first pick. Um, as a Cavs fan, looking into the future, I don't, I don't see us immediately being good with any three of these guys. We're going to have a lot of buzz around us if we get a guy like Zion. But we're not going to be having an immediate impact because of how you have to have a guy that is good at everything to be great in the NBA. Yeah, so. yeah. For me, I mean, I think a little bit different than you. I think if they do add a Zion and they have that lineup that you talked about with Jetty, Zion, Colin, I mean Tristan Thompson, if he can get a little bit better and Kevin Love can stay healthy. I mean, for me, I think that's like a top five, top six team in the East, especially with how bad the East is. I mean, I think that's a team. They're not going to win the championship or anything, but. They could definitely get to the playoffs and be like a top four to top eight team. Okay. Yeah, I can I could see that. It's just it just depends on how well Zion this is just saying if Zion made it, he needs to be able to you can't totally rely on paint play. Like you yeah. have to be able to spread the floor a little bit. So yeah. but RJ Barrett to me, RJ Barrett fits the best into what we need now. Yeah. But Zion, like I said, if you're one, you have to take him. Like, it's yeah. it's like a done deal. Like, he is the best player in the draft. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I could definitely see this team being good, like, with that lineup, especially if you think, like, the East, how bad it is. I mean, we have 20 wins right now. I'm pretty sure you, you, right now, like, 33 is in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, that's part of – we probably have more wins if the front office was encouraging them to win more with how good this team has played at times with Colin Sexton and Jetty. If Kevin Love was in there, most games we'd be winning as well. He hasn't been healthy all year. Tristan Thompson can get a little bit better, and you also add like a Zion. I think this could definitely be at least a 500 team, which in the East, the way it's been for the past 10 or 15 years and how bad it's been, that's, a, I mean, that's a playoff team. For sure. Um, I think we covered kind of the points that we wanted to with the Cavs, so Jake will probably move on with the Blue Jackets now. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the Blue Jackets and the crew. It's not, I mean, there's a good amount to talk about with the Blue Jackets, but Boy, have they been disappointing. Um, they added Duchesne, and they also added Dezingle about a month back, right before the trade deadline. Adding those two pieces, it felt like the Blue Jackets were going all in on this season. It felt like this is the team that's never won a playoff series, and they were saying, all right, we're going all in. We're going to try to win the Stanley Cup this year. And, I mean, a lot of fans believe that. I even thought adding those two pieces, two very good pieces in uh, for the Blue Jackets, we're going to make them a very good team. They're already a playoff team. They're already... Um, in one of the divisional spots and ever since they had those two pieces they've only dropped they're now sitting outside of the playoff standings I believe live standings right now they've lost most of the games since these guys have come in they've looked awful and not to mention that these four best players that they have in Dezingle, Duchesne, Panarin, and Bobrowski are all in their last year of their deal I mean this could end up being historically bad not just for the Blue Jackets but just for any 
hockey franchise of all time. You're talking about you go all in and bring these two guys in. You bring in two guys. You trade a shitload of draft picks to bring in two guys who are on the last year of their deal. Now your four best players, or maybe four or five. Seth Jones is also a very good defenseman, but maybe four of your best five or six players are all in the last year of their deal. If you bring in, you go all in on the Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup, you miss the playoffs, and then all four of those guys leave, and then you're left in a situation where you you can't be good again. You're gonna have to rebuild for the next three or four years. That would just be historically bad, and in my opinion, you gotta fire everyone if that happens. Yeah, that coming from someone that doesn't watch too much hockey. To put all your eggs in one basket like that and just not be able to make the playoffs in that one year, that is going to be just horrendous for yeah. the city of Columbus, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it would just be so bad. This is a team that was already in the playoffs, like I said. You put all your eggs in one basket of going for the Stanley Cup. Not only do you not win the Stanley Cup or not make a run in the playoffs, you go from being in the playoffs to going out of the playoffs, and then all four of those guys leave. Like I said, if that ends up happening, which is looking extremely likely, I don't see any of these four players honestly staying, in my opinion. Maybe Dezingle, because he is a Columbus guy. He played for the Ohio State Buckeyes when he played hockey, when he played men's hockey in college. So maybe him, but Panarin, it definitely looks like he's gone. Bobrowski, it definitely looks like he's gone. Those are probably your two best players in the Blue Jackets. Um, and then Dezingle and Duchesne, I could easily see leaving. So if this team misses the playoffs and then those four guys leave, it's one of the worst things i've ever it's one of the worst front office moves in the history of just all of sports i mean that's how bad this would be if this happened yeah i mean it would top the nets getting rid of three first rounders for a ancient paul pierce kevin (laughs) garnett and jason terry so we'll we'll see yeah it would be really bad so moving on from that i mean the blue jackets you just you got to look forward to these last i think eight games or so they're right on the edge of the playoffs the only problem is even if they do sneak in the playoffs in the eight seed, they're taking on historically the greatest hockey team of all time right now in terms of points, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have been amazing this season. They've already, I think, topped like, or they're already really close to topping the most points in regular season history in hockey, and there's still like eight or nine games to play. So even if they sneak in that eight seed, they're absolutely screwed. I would guarantee they get swept against that team. They played that team a few times in the regular season this year. They've lost by uh, most times they play them four or five goals, so... If not only did the Blue Jackets need to sneak into the playoffs, especially after making these moves, but it would be really beneficial to them to get to that seventh seed, um, to not have to play the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, so really all I have to say on the Blue Jackets, the crew, things were looking positive until yesterday. Uh, they started off the season well. Um, they started off with a draw against the New York Red Bulls, one one, and then they then they beat the New England Revolution on the road, two nil. Then they um went at back home. And they won, not looking at the standings here, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head, but um, then they won 1-0 at home. But then this past weekend, or yesterday that is, on Saturday, they lose 3-0 to Philadelphia. Um, a disappointing result. It was an interesting result, though, because a lot of their players, the crew have a pretty solid team, and a lot of these players are from the United States. So it, right now it's the international break. So the USA is playing. So they took some players away from the crew. Zach Steffen, their goalkeeper, Will Trapp, their captain and best player in the midfield. Jelsey Zardes. I mean, those are like Jelsey Zardes, their goal scorer. So those are the big, probably the best three players on the crew. All gone this weekend to play for the USA. So we're expecting Columbus to, on the road too, to Philadelphia. Decent team. I was expecting them to lose. That's exactly what they do. They lose 3-0 yesterday to Philadelphia. A disappointing result, but like I said, it's what you expect when you lose your goalkeeper, Zach Steffen, your best player. Um, talent-wise, William Trapp, your best midfielder and captain, and you lose your goal scorer in Chelsea Zardes. You expect to lose this game pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, those are the three most important positions in 
soccer probably your goalkeeper your center defensive mid and your striker so to lose those three players and also probably be your three most talented players I never thought they stood a chance yesterday I was hoping they could just go into Philadelphia and find a way to nick a draw at least but they lose 3-0 so no surprise there you got anything to add to anything Steve um no I do not watch too much soccer like I said <laughs> before on this podcast so I'm gonna kind of keep my mouth shut on that one I'm gonna have to get you out to a game in the Nordic Dude, I, I I would probably prefer – I mean, I see the crazy stuff that you show on your Snapchat, so I think that would be awesome to attend a game. It's just I won't – I won't have a dog in fight right now, if yeah. that makes sense. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that will do it for us. Not for this episode. Um, after I sign off here, I'm sure you'll hear us come back here after the Ohio State game for about five minutes to talk about what we see from their matchup against Houston, win or lose, whatever it is. We'll talk about that for a few minutes after. All right, All right so we'll be back in one sec. All right, welcome back. It's about three and a half hours later. We just watched Ohio State. Uh, we can't actually give you the final score yet. There's 34 seconds left, but it's about over here. It's 70-59 Houston right now with 34 seconds left. So give you a few takeaways from the game. But overall, the more important picture is that the season for the Ohio State Buckeye, Buckeyes basketball is over. So maybe a few takeaways as well. Just from the season that was around a 32 exit for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So uh, we'll talk about that. But first for this game... Um, I mean, a pretty boring game, not like a lot to get into, but I mean, give me a takeaway or two from this game, Steve. Um, not a lot of scoring. I mean, we were resulted to just throwing up three-point shots in the first half. Yeah. Um, nobody could really get to the lane. Um, Caleb Wesson had 80 turnovers. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, it popped out of his hands. Um, but I mean, in all seriousness, to get to the round of 32, it does take, just to get into the tournament is... It's a good thing for a school, um, but over the season, kind of in general, it was it was kind of supposed to be a rebuilding season, especially because we lost Kata Beats D up, and I think that's what it was. I mean, we got to the tournament, won one game. I think that should be a just a good like overall thing to be proud of, but um, with this next recruiting class coming in, there's going to be high expectations for next year, so. Yeah, yeah, that's a good takeaway right there. Um, the game itself, I'll start with that a little bit. Uh, like you said, they just could not get inside. That was the biggest thing from this game. And this is a team that is usually more of an inside-type game team with Caleb Wesson. And Caleb Wesson didn't foul out or anything. I mean, I don't want to say he didn't contribute. He had 15 points, which is the second most on the team. But it did feel like he just wasn't there at times. He didn't even shoot a shot in the second half till like six or seven minutes in until he attempted his first field goal of the half. It just kind of felt like he was shying away from the basketball at times. I don't know if you got that feel, but... It just seemed like at times he was shying away from it. He almost didn't want the basketball to come towards him. So a big takeaway for me is, like, Caleb Weston just kind of disappeared at times in this game. I mean, he still scored 15 points. But what do you expect from Caleb? Like, even if he has an off night, he's going to score some points. But it did just kind of feel like he just disappeared at random times during this game. Um, like you said, though, we kind of just resorted to outside shooting, which was working early on in the game. But like I told you and, I, and my dad, or, and, like, we all kind of knew, like, that's not going to last. We're not, High State's not going to be able to sit there and make threes all game long. It's not like a Wofford or like a, a team like that. It's a three-point sh- shooting team. So early on, they were shooting threes, and they got up by three or four at one point, 23-20, something like that. But like like I'm saying, that was never going to last. They were not going to continue to hit three threes all game long. So they, we knew they had to get inside at some point during this game if they wanted any chance to win, and that just never happened. I don't have the final box here, but I want to say Ohio State had about 10 points in the paint. Houston had about 35-40, to 40, so... That was the big difference in this game was points in the paint. Yeah, and just overall defense was lacking. Um, there was a lot of times where they would just get blown by. And Keyshawn Woods, after the 
kind of he kind of looked like he kind of almost sprained his ankle a little bit or rolled his ankle and he just wasn't the same the rest of the game so it just kind of depends on what happens um with their defense it was just not what it usually is um so they just big takeaways um kind of Keyshawn Woods didn't look like himself Caleb Wesson didn't or yeah Caleb Wesson did not look like himself and we were just hoisting up shots that weren't necessary so yeah yeah just felt like we were shooting threes that we didn't need to shoot and we just could not find our way inside on this game, which is surprising. I didn't really think Houston was like a team that would be tough to get the ball inside on. Not that I know anything about Houston, but I just think of like an American Athletic Conference team as not very big. But, yeah, I mean, they did a good job at stopping Caleb and a good job at keeping Ohio State from getting in the inside in general. So credit to Houston. They'll go to the Sweet 16. Ohio State will crash out at the round of 32. Um, I didn't get a touch on the overall season it was, but – very similar to what you said, pretty much. This is a team that came into the season, was predicted to finish 12th in the Big Ten. They finished 8th. They won a tournament game in the Big Ten. And then they made the tournament, which was more than they were expected to do from the beat riders, from the ex- so-called experts at the beginning of the season. They did end up getting into the tournament, and then they even won a game against Iowa State. So this was a very disappointing game, especially to lose by 15 and to never really feel like you had a chance. It was just one of those games where, I mean, it just never felt like they were ever going to get back in this game after they went down by five to ten points and they didn't but still even with that said it was still for me considering the talent on this team and it was expected to be a reloading year I still overall in terms of the talent on the roster I thought it was a pretty solid season yep I agree it just I it was going to be bigger and better expectations for this next year coming up with Chris Holman in his third year that I believe that third year with a new coach is what is is where you need to really throw show some real progress, and hopefully it's going to be passed around to 32 next year. Yeah, yeah, next year they'll be bringing in three guys who are, I don't know exactly what their star is, but the three guys who are very, very good basketball players. I believe they're all top 50 players. So bringing in three guys who are top 50, then you're going to add, you're going to keep Luther Muhammad, who struggled down the stretch this year, but I believe with another offseason he's going to be a really good player. You've got Jawain Washington who can chuck up threes, Justin Irons who can chuck up threes, Caleb Wesson should be back. Andre Wesson should be back. Um, Keyshawn Woods will be gone. He's one of the few. Joey Lane will be gone. Uh, we love Joey Lane. Yeah. Rest in peace, Joey. Uh, that's another storyline <laughs> in this game. That's his last game. Um, and then CJ Jackson will be gone. Although he was a leader at times and he could shoot well in clutch moments, I don't think we'll miss CJ Jackson too much in all honesty. But overall, this should be, yeah, like you said, a much, much better basketball team next year. And the expectations should be high, and I think they're going to be a really good team because they're going to have those really good players, and they're going to be young, but they're also going to have some experienced players like Caleb Wesson, like Andre Wesson, like a few other players, and even these even these freshmen now are going to be more experienced. So next year you can expect a really good team, in my opinion. Yep. All right. I think that will do it for this episode. Um, good hour, 10-minute hour, 10 podcast for you. Thanks to, thanks to Steven for coming on. Yes, sir. Anytime. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So uh, I think that will do it for Ohio versus the world.